Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. Last week we started talking about what's going on in your heart. Is it hard or is it soft or is it filled with belief or unbelief? Remember that? Well, we're going to kind of return to those passages. And today we're going to be in Hebrews 4. So if you want to turn there. But let's specifically start out by looking at the heart monitor of God's word with verses 12 and 13. I'm going to read those to you again. Verses 12 and 13. Look what the word of God does in Hebrews 4. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we must have to do or to whom we must give account. So this is saying that God's word reveals what is going on inside of us. It can cut through the junk and the barriers we want to put up, and it shows you what's inside. It says, like, I see a hard heart there. I see a, a soft heart there, and it divides us, and it cuts us because it's alive. It's not stagnant. It's doing what it is set out to do and reveal obedience, disobedience, belief, unbelief, hard, soft. And the way that this happens is we take it and we Bring it in your face. And that's what the author has been doing. And he started this last week with Psalm 95. He's preaching Psalm 95 to them. And he started in Hebrews 3. That's where we left off. And he takes this double-edged sword of God's word and he starts cutting. And he shows them. And he does this in a negative way and a positive way. He gives them a warning and he also gives them a promise. And he uses this word in both of those ways. Now, the first part of his exposition was is in Hebrews 3, 12 through 19, which is the negative consequences. Remember that? The negative consequences of the wilderness generation and how they were unable to enter God's rest because of unbelief. And the main point of that passage that we saw last week is it's a warning. Don't be like the hard-hearted, unfaithful Israelites. It's a warning. And now we come to chapter 4, and he's still preaching Psalm 95, and he uses it in a, in a positive direction. And it's a promise. There is still a rest available to the faithful. Don't be like the hard-hearted generation who died in the wilderness. Still promise of a rest available to the faithful. Now, before we jump into the details, I want you to notice that the word rest comes up in verse 1 of chapter 4 and also in verse 11. In fact, these verses are very similar. Let me just read them to you, okay? Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Then in verse 11, therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For all you great Bible scholars out there, this is something called an ecclusio. But to use a more technical term, it's called the bread of a sandwich. 
In the bread, you have the same thing said in verse 1 and in verse 11, the bread, okay? They're the same. And in the middle is the meat. In the middle of this is the point. And the point is this, strive to enter God's rest today. Strive to enter God's rest today. That is the point, the meat of the passage. Now with all that teed up for you, let's go. Verse 1, chapter 4. Therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Fear what? It says, let us fear. What are we supposed to fear? Well, if we back up to what we've been reading in chapter 3, you'll get a picture of dead bodies in the desert. Fear that. The Israelites were delivered out of Egypt. Caleb Joshua come along and say, hey, there is a promise. Let's go into the promised land. God's going to take it. It's ours. And what happened? Bodies dropping in the desert from unbelief, right? And the author comes along and he says, fear that. Fear unbelief. Fear being told the promises of God and hearing it, disobeying it, dropping dead in the desert. Fear that. Once again, in verse 1, in this fearing concept, it's in the context of a promise. Therefore, let us fear if while, look at that, a promise remains of entering his rest. Well, that's interesting. It's telling us that the the wilderness generation did not enter God's rest, but the the promise of entering his rest still stands. I'm like, what? Does that mean that God has a promise for us to enter the literal promised land? No, 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 no. No, because the a generation of Israelites finally got in, right? But the promise of entering his rest still remains. And so if the promise still remains for us, then God must have another rest in mind beyond the entrance to the promised land and peace from our enemies. So here we go. What does this rest mean? If you can't define the rest of chapter four, you don't know what he's talking about. So let's attempt to find, to define the rest. And here's the, here's the deal, okay? For all you note takers, I'm gonna say way too much. Don't worry about trying to get this down. But then we're gonna define the rest of God in two ways. Number one, the rest is something we experience today in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, all right? The rest is something we experience today in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. This means that right now, if you're a follower, believer of Jesus, you have rest in God. You have rest from the fear of death, which we talked about in chapter 2. You have rest from the control of Satan, which we talked about in chapter 2. We have rest from the condemnation of sin, which we also talked about in chapter 2. And lastly, we have rest in God who cares for us very much and helps us. It is a rest that we experience right now in Jesus. All right, got that? But the second aspect of this rest is this. The rest is also a future rest with God in heaven for all those who believe in Jesus Christ and persevere in their faith. I'll say it again. The rest is also a future rest with God in heaven for all those who believe in Jesus Christ and persevere in their faith. This means that it's going to be a rest from struggling with sin, 
a rest from struggling with the temptations of Satan and a rest of living by faith in a fallen world. So the rest, it's a reality now, and it's also a future hope. You get it? It's kind of that now, not yet concept. And so since the promise still stands of entering God's rest, we, in here, those watching, we must fear falling short. We must fear falling short of God's rest through unbelief. Uh, did, you, did you kind of see where we're living at right now? Remember, Israelites delivered out of Egypt, headed to the promised land. They were in the desert. We, <laughs> we have been delivered from Egypt. We're headed to the kingdom. And right now we find ourselves in the wilderness. And we must fear falling short of kingdom rest through unbelief. That's what he's writing. He's writing this to the Hebrews. It's a church that were struggling to believe, to press on, because they were being persecuted. And they're thinking, maybe it would be best if we stop following Jesus. And the author says, don't do it. Keep going. Now, some of you may be uncomfortable right about now because you don't like the thought of living a life of fear. Because doesn't the Bible say something about fear not? Well, absolutely, the Bible says fear not. I mean, I'm not supposed to fear my circumstances. I'm not supposed to fear sickness. I'm not supposed to fear death. Or I'm not supposed to fear the devil. But the Bible says fear unbelief. Let me put it to you this way. This, I've heard this before from one pastor. It was really good, all right? So when kids are little, you tell them, look, don't go out in the street. Don't play in the street. You could play in the backyard. You could play on the side of the house. You could play in the front yard. But don't go in the street. And what I've done with my kids is I don't say, well, don't go in the street because bad things happen in the street. I'm like, you go in the street, a car's going to hit you, you're going to explode, and you're going to die. I just tell them the truth. It's going to be bad, really, really bad and graphic. But go have a fun in the backyard. Outside, it's great. And you can, uh, you can play all you want <laughs> in the front, but fear unbelief of the street. And the Bible talks this way. I mean, uh, we saw last week in Hebrews 3.12. Do I have that? Hebrews 3.12. Look at this. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Fear that. Fear falling short of God's rest. Fear hardening your heart. Fear unbelief. Fear falling short of God's rest through unbelief. And this fear is supposed to help you persevere in your faith. And we're supposed to be convicted of unbelief and press on in belief. But I don't know about you. I'm going to tell you what's been going on with me but recently. I've been fearing lots of things. I don't know what's going on. I've just been fearing lots of things. I, I fear for my kids I just thought you have kids, they're in your house and you're scared to death and they go off and you forget about them when they get older. No, it gets worse. So I got fear for my kids. They're scattered all over. Um, 
I fear for the church. It's like, are, is it ever, are people ever going to come back? Are we going to kind of go back to normal? What's going to happen? And I have all types of fear. And you know, you know what I'm being convicted of? Here's the deal. I'm fearing for those things that are in the backyard. I'm not supposed to be afraid of those things. And the reason why I'm fearing those things in the backyard is because I don't fear unbelief enough. I'm going to fear one thing is I fear the Lord. I fear unbelief and trust the Lord with the rest of that stuff. Trust him, take care of my kids, take care of the church, take care of everything. I can trust, don't need to fear that. It's in the backyard. Fear the streets. Let's continue on. Verse two. It gets really difficult now. Stay awake. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Now, we know what the gospel has preached to us about the deliverance from sin and the life and death of resurrection of Jesus. But what was the gospel preached to the the wilderness generation? Well, the gospel preached to them is God has made you a promise. He's given you the land. Trust him, go and take the land. They heard this promise preached to them. But you know what? They didn't take what they heard and combined it with faith. And I want to tell you right now, I don't care how long you've gone to church, hearing is not enough. Just because you hear the gospel, you hear the preaching of Jesus Christ is not enough. The Israelites heard the promises of God, but their dead bodies ended up in the desert. And why is that? Because hearing must be combined with faith. Yeah? You're to hear the word of God and you're to combine it with believing and trusting in faith. Too many times, one of the discouraging things that's happened to me throughout ministry is I preach my guts out, and then afterwards, everybody goes out to eat lunch, which is fine, which is fine. Now, when I was real young, you know, restaurants would be packed. I don't know how many of you ever went to Wyatt's Cafeteria or Luby's or Furs or Golden Corral, whatever it is, packed, especially in the South, full of church people. Just heard the earth-shaking message of going out and changing the world and laying down your life and you're hitting the buffet line. <laughs> now, for us, it's, it's changed. Like, we don't eat that fine food anymore. We're more like the McDonald's kind of people. So we'll hear the life-changing message of the Word of God and we combine it with a Happy Meal. Now, I'm not dogging on you going out to eat, but I'm saying the Word, when it's preached, is to go out and be combined with faith. And too many people showing up for church thinking about what they're going to eat afterwards, more important, what they're eating right now. We're to hear the word. We're to combine it with faith. And if we don't, we will not enter God's rest. Look at it, look at it, look at it. Verse three. For we who have believed enter that rest. Well, okay, okay, it's now. If you believed in Jesus Christ... You've entered God's God's rest now. Rest from the condemnation of sin, rest from the fear of death, rest from the control of Satan, and rest of the care. You have entered that rest now. But there's also something else, a future rest 
And that's what the author is mainly hitting on. There is a future rest that is coming that you participate in now. It is a now and not yet. Continue on in verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my wrath, my, my rest. Well, what in the world? Well, this is a quote from Psalm 95, already mentioned in chapter 3, and elaborated on by the author, pointing to the reality of unbelievers not entering God's rest. Look at the end of verse 3. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Don't let me lose you here. Whose work has been finished since the foundation of the world? Well, it's, it's God's work has been finished. Now, now watch what happens. We're going to get this quote from Genesis 2.2, 2, uh, verse 4. For he has said somewhere, don't you like that? Somewhere in the Bible. For he has said, I say that all the time, it's somewhere in there. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Huh. So this passage is brought up because of the connection with Psalm 95 in the word rest. On the seventh day, when God was done creating, he rested from all his work. Now verse 5. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. The same passage is quoted again, indicating that those who did not believe did not enter his rest. Now, there's two things I want you to see here. There's a lot going on here. Two things I want you to see. Number one, we see that God rested from all his work. And number two, those in the wilderness generation who did not believe did not enter that rest. But those now, believers, who strive and follow Christ will enter that rest. And we enter that rest by faith and we stand by faith looking ahead to the future reality and the totality of experiencing the fullness of God's rest. Continue on, verse six. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. Did the wilderness generation enter God's rest? No, why? Disobedience. Does that mean that God's rest was now permanently closed off? No, because it says right here, there is a rest that still remains for some to enter. Because God always intended to share his rest with his people. And the intention has come to fruition in those who believe the gospel of Jesus. And this thought flows into verse 7. Verse 7, he again fixes a certain day. Today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Man, there's a lot going on here. So here's the deal. The author is going back to Psalm 95, which was written way after Joshua, way after he led the Israelites into the promised land. And God spoke through David today, today, the present of Psalm 95. And he declared, there is still a rest available to those who don't harden their hearts. There's still a rest available to those who, who hear God and respond and we get the idea that the rest of entering God's land did not exhaust all of God's rest. Just because the people went into the land, that doesn't mean the rest is done. There's some more rest that remains. Verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So the logic is, 
The rest of entering God's land under Joshua did not exhaust all of God's rest for his people because it was a picture pointing to a greater rest because when they got into the land, were they chilling out and resting? Uh Uh-uh, enemies were attacking. They were still battling. There was crazy amounts of turmoil. And so that's why David shows up many years later. He's like, today, today, today is now an opportunity of rest. And that today of David's time is the today for you, that that fullness is now available in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And that today is a day to repent. Today is a day to believe. And today is a day to enter his rest for good. Verse 9. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And the nature of this rest remaining for the people is called a Sabbath rest. What is a Sabbath rest? For all the Sabbatarians out there, don't use these passages. Not talking about that. Seventh-day Adventists out there using these passages to talk about a Saturday Sabbath. Not talking about that. What is going on here in the Sabbath rest is the author doesn't use the same word, kataposis, that he has been using but he chooses a different word. The word he uses is sabbatismos. And our translation, the NAS, picks up and he switches this term to now say Sabbath rest. And the word comes from sabbatizane and the word means, this is really cool, to celebrate the Sabbath. So not only are we talking about a rest in God, but we're talking about a celebration. One of my professors, Peter O'Brien, says, we're talking about the jamboree. We're talking about the celebration, the excitement, the party that is going on in the place of rest. So we're talking about entering into God's rest. We're talking about joy. We're talking about rejoicing in Jesus. And we're talking about experiencing that now and experiencing it fully when we're in his presence. So when it says there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, it's talking about entering into the rest in Christ now and the joy that is experienced and that future-oriented joy. Verse 10. I'm sorry, I'm going so slow. Just kidding. Verse 10. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. So the Sabbath rest will completely be experienced when we enter into God's rest in heaven. In heaven, we will cease from our work. Now, it doesn't mean we won't won't work in heaven. Yes, we'll still serve in a variety of ways, but it does mean that when we're in heaven, we will no longer struggle with sin. We will no longer battle, I guess, in this spiritual warfare. We will enter the rest fully and we'll no longer have faith, but we'll have sight. Now, to me, this is some of the most encouraging verses Because I always say, well, I've been going through a hard time recently. No, I've been going through a hard time all the time. And I feel like I'm just battling daily. And when I read the word, I get the idea that the the Christian life is kind of like a war, right? Fighting against sin, fighting against Satan. And I need the encouragement that that's going to come to an end one day. That's not going to last forever. Tell me I'm going to have rest from that one day. And the word is saying, it is coming. You will cease from those works as God did from his, and you'll find eternal rest in him. I need that. You need that. I once heard 
uh, a quote from Augustine. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, some big theologian in the past. He wrote this in his City of God. He says, we shall rest and see, see and love, love and praise. This is what shall be in the end without end. So that when we are finally with the Lord in heaven, we will rest and see, see and love, love and praise forever. And I heard at a funeral before, you know, a funeral about someone, that was said of them that that person somehow, they, they lived their life in such a way that they blurred the line between here, earth, and there, heaven. And by that statement, they meant that they lived their life in such anticipation of the Lord, seeking him, following him, desiring him, rejoicing in the gospel, that they blurred the line between heaven and earth. I mean, can you imagine following the Lord so much on this earth, desiring him, being hungry for him, and and then you just die and you're with him, and there's like not a big disruption (laughs) because there's a blurred line there because now you are so enraptured by the Lord. You're experiencing that rest in him now, and you long for him later. And so your relationship with him is continuous and continues on into eternity. So what should we do? For those of you looking to do something, verse 11. It's the last one. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. There it is. It's not telling you to work for your salvation. It's not telling you, well, now that you believe, you better get your act together and combine works and you'll get in. No, no. It's saying that now that you believe in Jesus, you keep following him. Don't fall into unbelief. Keep following him. In fact, strive to enter that rest. Continue to fight and battle by the power of the Holy Spirit against sin and Satan. Continue to fight for belief. Keep going. And you think, man, Hebrews is such a hard book. I wonder if any of the other biblical authors can confirm what Hebrews is saying. Let me give you something that you have heard more often. It's probably a big old plaque on your wall or on your refrigerator that will be helpful. Philippians, there's a book you understand. Philippians chapter three, verses 12 and 14. Listen to what Paul says. He says, not that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining, there's that straining, striving, straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You get that? You get that? So we experience his rest now, and yet we're striving, straining to enter that rest forever. And part of that is fighting against unbelief. And all that happens today. Today is important because we're not promised tomorrow. And one of the things that's been happening in our congregation recently is people have been passing on and going to be with the Lord, more so right now than at different times, I know there's all seasons for that. So that means I'm talking to some today who may not be literally around tomorrow. 
And so today is what matters. Today is the day that we have. And today is the day to enter God's rest. And for some of you, you may have been hearing throughout your whole lives, but not combining it with faith. You hear, you nod, but it's not you. You know it's not you. Today is the day for you to hear the gospel and refine, respond with repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Today is your day. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. Today's your day to hear and respond in faith. And it's also a day for the rest of us to kind of pull back and say, wait, I'm fearing those things in the backyard that God said he would take care of, right? Because I know some of you have some serious doubts right now because your body's starting to fall apart. That's backyard stuff that you can turn over to the Lord. Some of you got some relationships that just continually continue and it makes you afraid. Backyard stuff that you can turn over to the Lord. He's got that. Our only fear here is to fearing unbelief. And when we start fearing stuff in the backyard, it's because we're not trusting the Lord to take care of it. But that's, he loves you. You found rest in him. He's going to take care of that stuff. So for us, we just play in the backyard, play on the sides, play in the front yard, find our rest in God. Just, just don't go into the street. Stay out of the street of unbelief and find your rest in Christ today and strive to enter by his grace that rest forever that we have by faith. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922 0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.